Ladies and gentlemen, the holiday has passed. I hope the barbecue is digesting well in your system. Also, it's hot as hell outside, baby. I hope y'all found a way to stay cool. But this is the quarterly report, and I want to thank you all for joining me for episode 63. Time is moving by fast. Obviously, I am your host, Armand Lee. Again, thank you so very much for spending your holiday week with me. We've got a really fun show this week. There's so much to talk about. Miss Monica McNutt, one of my favorite guests, she's returning to the show. Really fun interview. We're discussing NBA free agency top to bottom, so you're not going to want to miss that. Also, I told you guys a few weeks ago, once the NBA season stops, my mind gets to kind of wander free. And I get to have these fun discussions. And I really think this one, especially considering some of the events that have happened in free agency. I'm going to continue to give you guys my ideas that will help fix the NBA. I shouldn't say fix because I don't think it's broken, but help improve the NBA. I've got a great idea that, because a lot of people are going with this no conference kind of movement going on. And that's cool. But I don't think stripping conferences away is the best the best result to fix or to tweak this current uh, NBA climate. So I'm going to give you my second and I think three weeks, my second idea to completely overhaul the NBA the way we know it, but will ultimately improve the product. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss this. Thinking outside the box is something that we do far too often on the quarterly report. But hey, this is my show. This is what I get down and this is how I do it. You feel me? All right, man, but there's so much more to get to, starting with our number one topic this week. First quarter. You know, usually on the show, when someone says or does something really stupid, really foolish, I just sick angry man on the ass, right? But this week, there's been so many people doing insane dumb stuff that I created a new segment called... Yeah. You know, I like doing these specialty segments and from from the the sounds of it from the reaction i get from you all and i appreciate each and every one of them many of you all like the specialty segments too so because i'm a producer at heart like doing stuff like this this is right up my my wheelhouse man like i may od on this stuff anything that i can do to add a little bit of production value i'm always down for but the name of this segment if you didn't if you couldn't tell by the musings of one trick daddy it's going to be called Shut Up. And from time to time, we're going to come back to this segment on the show, as we do with all the other kind of reoccurring segments. And the distinction between this and Angry Man, when, you know, Angry Man, obviously, sit your ass down. Sometimes people just step out of line, and you just need to tell them to sit down for a while. Like, time out, Joe. Sit your ass down. You are disqualified from continuing to being like from us to considering you being a relevant individual. You just on time out. This segment, because there have been more than, than a, a few people jumping out there in the last week with some of the trashest takes. And I don't know if y'all are like me. I may watch something or I may be driving, listening to the radio, and I hear a take, it's so bad I have to turn it off. And I don't turn it off forever. I turn it off because I have to like basically talk to the radio and let the radio know how dumb that take is. And then I turn it right back on 
for reasons I still don't know. I know my daughter, I'm driving my daughter to camp. I'm sure she's looking at me like, Daddy, what is going on with you? You know what I'm saying? But that is the the complete, the, the idea behind Shut Up. Because there have been smart people, people that I respect, people whose opinion truly matter to me. And this week, those people have said some of the dumbest and had some of the trashiest takes. So I don't want them to sit down, right? I don't want them to sit their ass down. I just want them to shut up for a second. You know what I'm saying? Like you do with the radio, just turn it off real quick because they, they just need, hey, they in the timeout. They need to pause real quick. And this week, it has been some trash takes this week. Lord have mercy. Three different takes that have really kind of boiled, got my blood boiling, if you understand, right? And we're going to discuss all of them, starting with the Sam Presti apologist. Yeah, they're out there. The spin doctors were working. Spin doctors are out in full effect this week. Be careful. You understand? So we're going to start with the Sam Presti apologist and work our way up, right? The people who really need to shut up, they'll be saved for last. Trust me. Sam Presti apologist, you know, NBA free agency started at midnight on Sunday, Sunday morning. And the first move, the first big move was Paul George. Russell Westbrook was throwing a party in Oklahoma City. I'm sure the Outback Steakhouses were in full effect. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm sure Applebee's was lit. And uh, so there's a party in Oklahoma City, you know, whatever. And Paul George decides that, you know, he's going to re-sign with the Thunder. Cool. You know, I'm not as big on Paul George as a lot of people are. That's fine. Whatever. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a win from for Oklahoma City. There's no way around that. And the moment after... Paul George resigns. All the people who have been hearing about Sam Presti for over a year now, they came, they came running to the forefront. Ah, Sam Presti did it again. Sam Presti deserves so much credit. Sam Presti, ah! I be just cheering on, rah, rah for him. You understand? And I'm like, I'm just thinking, we really doing this. Right? We're really doing this. Of all the things that have happened Sam Presti in this Oklahoma City Thunder specifically. We're going crazy because they re-signed Paul George? Unfortunately, as is the case with anything, really, context is lost, right? We kind of sum things up with the um, with the headlines. of pe- People are wrapped up in, in headlines and in little blurbs. Like the Sam Presti experiment in Oklahoma City is more than just yes he changed he traded James Harden. Now, that's a really bad move. Okay? Will go down in history as one of the three worst trades in the history in the league. And the only reason it's not the worst is because I believe one of the picks he got, he flipped into Steven Adams, okay? But again, no one's trading Steven Adams for James Harden. Okay? So it's one of the three worst trades ever. But there's so many people who will try so hard to rationalize that trade, even now, people I respect again, Matt Moore. Oh, man, you know, that trade isn't as easy as a slam dunk as everybody makes it out to be. Yeah, there's no trade that's as easy as anybody makes it out to be. Chris Webber couldn't stay off. <laughs> I was about to hit y'all with a Stephen A. 
Chris Webber was always on weed when he was a wizard or a bullet. So I'm sure trading him wasn't an easy idea. But guess what? That was the one of the worst trades ever. They traded rising star Chris Webber for Mitch Richmond. How did that play out? Stop it. Stop shooting bail for Sam Presti because he made one of the worst trades ever because he wanted to save, what was it, $4 million, something around those lines, and, and luxury tax payments. Get out of here. At the time of this recording, the Thunder are eyeing a $300 million bill this upcoming season. And we're going to get to that in a second because what we do, we try to, you know, the – the Cliff Notes version of Sam Presti has been he drafted Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, which, by the way, he deserves and he does get tons of credit for that, okay? Just masterful drafting for three straight drafts. There's no negative way you can spin that. He gets credit. He, prob- he, probably, makes, he probably should get more, but he gets a lot. Like when you talk about the positives of Sam Presti, that's it, right? Grand Slam, home run, home run. KD, Russ, Harden. Back to back to back. There's nothing you can say. Of those three, one of those guys are left. Okay? Let's keep it funky. But the Cliff Note versions of Sam Presti is he drafted those three guys in three consecutive years, and he traded James Harden for Picks and Kevin Martin. Okay? But there's so much more. If you only think of that when you think of Sam Presti, he's had significant failures, okay? Starting with trading for Carmelo Anthony. How's that? Why? Why? But still to this day, I'm a Nick fan. I couldn't believe it. Look, Ennis Cantor isn't the greatest player in the world. He's a hell of a lot better than Carmelo Anthony. Like you ask any team, who would you rather have? And then when you add in the money, Carmelo Anthony makes $10 million more. He's a worse player. He's going to take more awful shots. And he gets paid $10 million more. Get out of here. Get out of here. But it doesn't stop there. Sam Presti also traded a first-round pick for Deion Waiters. And no, I'm not hating on Syracuse players. I'm really not. But let's be for real. Deion Waiters, come on. Okay? Come on. What are you doing? Yeah, Sam Presti did that. You want to know what else Sam Presti did? Everybody, and I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to stay too long on it. Everybody always makes the mistake thinking that the Thunder, you know, chose Serge Ibaka over James Harden. And if you don't really pay attention to what happened, sure, it looks that way. But what really happened, the Thunder traded Jeff Green for Kendrick Perkins. Whatever, that's not, that's, that's not a big move one way or the other. I'm not the biggest Jeff Green fan. However, Kendrick Perkins was coming off of knee surgery. So once they traded for Kendrick Perkins, Sam Presti extended him coming off of knee surgery when he didn't have to. And that money that he gave just blindly to a a declining Kendrick Perkins who's coming off of knee surgery, Kendrick Perkins who has never been the same right after that knee surgery. He gave him an extension before he even saw him play. That money that he sent off to Kendrick Perkins was the money that could have been money that he could have signed both Serge Ibaka and James Harden. 
Guess what? That was a Sam Presti decision. He's also continually employing Raymond Felton, but whatever. So not only did he trade James Harden, and not only did he trade James Harden and didn't get a return back, he also traded for Carmelo Anthony. He also traded for Deion Waiters, and he gave Kendrick Perkins an extension coming off a knee surgery without seeing him play. Slim. So for all of you saying Presti apologists, and God knows, man, y'all are like fruit flies. Y'all just don't stop. I got this to say. No, 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 but we not finished yet, baby. Because there was a lot of trash takes this week, I'm telling you. It was everywhere. It was like landmines. You had to walk, watch yourself. Watch where you're stepping out here, baby. The spin doctors are mad. Second this week. And again, this is something that I spent some time on in the past. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay on it this week because y'all already know how I feel. But the 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 people who are running around telling you that the the world is collapsing in the NBA. Oh my god, this is so bad for the league. Parody. There's no parody in the NBA. Oh no, no, no. What are we gonna do? The league, this is bad for the league. I'm not gonna watch. Ah. Yeah, man, y'all gotta shut up too. I love y'all. Some of my closest friends, some of my closest friends in this industry and not even in the industry have said that this week. And I get it, right? The Marcus Cousins going to Golden State sent shockwaves throughout the league. Number one, for me, I'm not the biggest Marcus Cousins fan. So if anything, and Kevin Pelton, I believe, tweeted this out. And I think he had an article, but it was so poignant. It was perfect. When you are a champion and when you are as dominant as the Warriors, you look you look to lessen the, the potential variance. Right? Because you're dominating. There's nothing that there's nothing thus far that has been able to throw you off besides the, the Rockets. There's been one thing that's been able to give you problems. Them adding the Marcus Cousins to their locker room, to their organization, a player whose counting stats are amazing and who has talent, right? But but he does provide so much negative variance, right? You, it's, it's odd to do when they didn't need him. So they just made something, a sure thing, a little less sure by their own actions. You understand what I'm saying? And it's not that I think DeMarcus Cousins is going to be like some divisive locker room influence. I don't know, but it's volatile. They added more Again, they added variance to something that was a sure thing. They probably still win. But now, I, I think the, the likelihood that DeMarcus Cousins has a, a negative impact is greater than the fact, at least in my opinion, that he will provide some type of special play. Because, again, he's a 270, 80-pound man coming off an Achilles tear. The, the history of that just doesn't work out well. I hope, I hope I'm wrong for his sake. But, you know, let's keep it funky. But I've been hearing over and over again on Sports Talk Radio, turn on the TV. Oh, this is bad for the league. This is awful for the NBA. There's, there's a product that can't win. And the people who blow me the most, the NFL fans, NFL fans, they too, like fruit flies, come out the woodwork during NBA free agency. We already know they can't, they can't control themselves when the contracts get handed out. They just, they just sit there mad. Oh, he got, a, he got money? He gets paid more than Aaron Rodgers. This is a joke. We've all heard it before. But again, NFL fans, 
Y'all got to stop with parody. Y'all, everybody truly has to stop with parody. Let's look at some of the most popular leagues currently going on, sporting leagues currently going on, and you tell me if there's parody in those leagues or not. We're in the World Cup, right? Everybody loves footy. It, I've, I've enjoyed this World Cup. I mean, it's been amazing. One of the fastest growing, one of the highest rated sporting leagues that happened is the English Premier League, the EPL. We all know that, right? So you soccer fans listening to my voice right now, or people who may not be soccer fans, go ahead, Google it. And then I'll give you some time. Y'all come back to me. Okay. I think that's probably enough. It doesn't take long. List of EPL champions. You tell me, is there parody in the EPL? Nah, it's not. But is the English Premier League, is it doing better? Is it, is it increasing in interest and ratings? Absolutely. It's interesting, right? Okay, but let's keep it moving. College football. Is there parody in the college football? Like, can, can, if you were to reasonably guess, who's going to be in the college football playoffs? Fair, fair guess that you could say Alabama, not only will they be in the playoffs, they're probably going to play in a national championship game, right? I think that's fair. Now, there's a lot, there's a little more variance in terms of college football than some of these other leagues that I'm going to say. So we'll give them slight parity. But let's be honest, the SEC went like almost a decade, right, of winning the national championship. Urban Meyer won one in Ohio State. And that was their one. And then you had Clemson and Florida State. Okay, but ultimately, it's been Alabama. But there have been some, some variants, so we'll give them a pass. But mm, a little one, right? I'm being generous, mag magnanimous. Let's keep it moving. NCAA, college basketball. Their parity there? Hell no. Every year. There may be upsets in the tournament. Of course, there are going to be upsets in the tournament. We know it's going to be one of five teams, right? Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, Kentucky, and what? UConn. That's, that's it? Like That's pretty much it. Yeah, I know Louisville won. They, they jumped out there once. Guess what? Louisville ain't winning anytime soon, buddy. We all know this. We all know. I don't care what school you went to. You know you you could be an Oregon Duck. You think y'all going to win an NCAA tournament next year? Get out of here, Slim. And that now leads me to the NFL. And, man, the NFL freaks, they, they have something else. I've told you this number before, but and I've gone on other people's shows and said this number. I go on podcasts, right, whatever the case, just to kind of because we keep on doing this. <clears throat> we keep on doing this thing where we act as if there's parity in the NFL. We just kind of ran through some lists real quick, right? No parity. We all agree there's zero parity in the NBA, but there's never been parity in the NBA. There's zero parity in the English Premier League, but that league continues to thrive. College football has a little bit of parity, but ultimately we know who's going to win. And in college basketball, there's no parity. But the NFL, the NFL fans, those are the people that I want to spend most of my time with. Because, Lord, man, Alabama's got to stop. Since 2000, there have been 12 Super Bowl champions. 
In that same time span, there have been seven NBA champions. Yes, 12 is greater than seven. But if we're going to all agree that the NBA has zero parity, which it does, on the parity spectrum, right? Zero parity to great parity can't have a difference of five. It's just, I will never, I will not listen to that. Especially when the NFL has two more teams. There are two more teams. So the variance should be greater. But if maybe 18 years isn't enough of a sample size. So let's go all the way back to 1990. Since 1990, there have been 15 Super Bowl champions. It's almost 30 years. In the NBA, that same time span, there have been 10 NBA champions. Again, 10 is not a lot in 30 years. It's not. I'm not going to try to persuade you into thinking that. But again, if the NBA is at zero when it comes to parity, which it is, don't tell me the NFL is rich with parity with the five-team difference. Again, that's just not, that doesn't make any sense. You don't have to like the NBA. I love it, but you don't have to like it. I'm not going to ever tell people what they should do. And if you listen to this show, because we talk about the NBA all the time, I'm assuming you like the NBA as well. The NBA does have an issue. And I'm going to address that in the fourth quarter. But there's never been parity in the NBA, ever. Ever. But this idea that people want parity, if parity was ideal, if parity was what the fans really wanted, everybody would watch hockey. Everybody would watch baseball. The Golden Knights went to the Stanley Cup final this past season. That's never going to happen in the NBA. And it's never going to happen in the NFL either. The Kansas City Royals won the World Series just a handful of years ago. Less than a handful of years ago. That's never going to happen in the NBA. And it's never going to happen in the NFL either. Outside of, what, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Hornets, and the Wizards. I'm sorry, y'all. Every NBA team has made it to a conference championship since 2000. Every single one, with the exception of the Hornets, the Pelicans, who at the time, they they shared a franchise for a time being, right? The Hornets were, they they went out of, Charlotte didn't have a franchise. New Orleans took the Hornets, right? So that explains it. The Clippers, if Daniel Sterling is known for one thing more so than his racism, is the fact that he's cheap. And the Wizards, I'm sorry, y'all. Again, I, I don't know. I can't explain that. Actually, we can't explain that. And we're going to do that a little bit later in the show. But other than those four franchises, two of which were once the same, every team in the, every team in the NBA has been to a conference championship. NFL freaks. When was the last time the Lions won a playoff game? Forget getting to a conference championship, a playoff game. When was the last time the Buffalo Bills won a playoff game? When was the last time the Miami Dolphins won a playoff game? The Cincinnati Bengals, the Cleveland Browns. I mean, the Rams, they won a Super Bowl in 2000. What have they done? You just look at it. It just doesn't happen. The NFL has spun this lie and people eat it up that your team has a chance. No, they don't. No, they don't. We live in Washington. 
Washington and Dallas, they've won, what, three playoff games? Two teams have won a combined three playoff games in, what, 20 years? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? And the biggest point I want to make is that we all act like parity is paramount. But explain all the popular leagues to me then. Because very few of them actually have it. So all y'all who want to rip the NBA, and again, the NBA, I'm not an NBA apologist. There are things that they can do to change it, to perfect it, to tweak their, their product to make it better. But don't give me parity. Please don't give me parity. Because if you do, I got to tell you this to you. Uh -huh. Okay, they can. Shut, up. Shut, up. <laughs> Shut up. And lastly, man, and this is the trashest take of them all. Stop blaming Michelle Roberts in the Players Union for what is going on in the NBA. Stop it. And again, this is smart people. I listen to Zach Lowe all the time. Zach Lowe is one of the smartest minds when it comes to basketball, in my opinion. And I think a lot of you all agree. He's been on this for a while, man. And it just doesn't make any sense. Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer. Again, I like him. I don't agree with all this stuff. Smart. Blaming the Players Association of Michelle Roberts. No, it's not. Ryan Rosillo. I enjoy Ryan Rosillo. Stop it, man. Again, I name people that I like, that I enjoy, that I respect. If I didn't name those names, then that, that'd be kind of like me taking shots. But I want to make sure y'all know because like, smart people are doing this. And you got to wonder, like, why? Like, what, what? I can't be the only one who hears Oh, well, the players union should have never agreed to the uh, the cap spike in 2016. In fact, the NBA told the players union that, you know, a lack of competitive balance and um, crazy contracts would be handed out. And the NBA's middle class, this is the thing I always love. The NBA's middle class would be hurt. So many guys would get paid in that one year that others, other guys won't get paid as well. Let's start there. Who's the NBA middle class? There's what? Approximately, what, a 400? Four, let's say 420, right? 420 is apropos for the NBA. Let's say there's 420 players in the NBA, right? Give or take. Who's in this middle class? Let's say the middle class, and again, this is just me spitballing. 180 to 240, right? Those players represent the actual NBA's middle class. And obviously the middle class would be larger, but let's just say for argument's sake. Who's hurting? Some of the contracts that were handed out this year, this year, where the NBA's middle class is supposedly hurt. Ersan Ilyasova is making $7 million. Ersan Ilyasova. He sounds like he's in the middle class. Doug McDermott signed a Three-year, $22 million contract. Doug McDermott is absolutely in the middle class. He's making $7 million a year for three years. Doug McDermott's not a starter. I don't know if he's ever started. I don't know if he started 10 games in his NBA career. Let's just say 50. Rajon Rondo. The Dallas Maverick. We're like years removed from Dallas just saying, dog, we don't even want you with the team. Go. That was like three years ago. He's making $9 million this year. $9 million. Dante Exum, promising young player. I like his game. Again, not a player who starts. 
It's a player who's had two huge surgeries on his knee already. He's just signed a three-year, $33 million contract. What are we talking? Who's in the NBA middle class? And that's just this offseason. Last offseason, Zach Randolph, million-dollar contracts. George Hill, million. All these guys eating. Tim Hardaway Jr., $17 million. So my question is, who's in this middle class who's, who's not eating? Because if you honestly think that if the cap was smooth, Doug McDermott would have gotten $10 million or he's, he would have went from $7 million to $10 million? Like, would Rajon Rondo now be making $12 million? Because here's the thing. Had the cap been smooth, yes, Timothy Mozgov wouldn't have made $17 million. Nor would Joe, maybe Joe Kim would have. You know? Bismack Biombo wouldn't have been making $17 million. Yan Mahimi wouldn't have been making that much money. I grant you that. But nobody would have been. It's not like the money... Timothy Moscow, let's say he ended up making $11 million. It's not like that $6 million would have gone to somebody else. It would have gone to Doug McDermott, right? How much more money would these guys in the NBA middle class be making had the cap been smoothed? Because I don't, I don't think that these guys would be making more. And if you're saying they would be, you're saying it's just a transfer, Timothy Mozgov might not ever make another NBA dollar once his deal is up. He may be done in the league, but he got his big payday. And guess what? Timothy Mozgov is part of the players' union. Michelle Roberts represents him. Why wouldn't she want him to get paid? It just doesn't make sense. And people were trying to lay blame at the feet of the NBA's players' union for this lack of competitive balance. That just doesn't... I don't even know how people can... With a straight face, say that. The owners employ the general managers, the basketball, the head of basketball operations, not the players' union. The union and the owners are partners, 50-50, right? You're then asking the players' union to police the people that the owners employ. How is Who bargains like that? Hey, guys, look, you could get an influx of a lot of money, but... You shouldn't take it because we need your help to make sure we don't do dumb stuff. The the owners are basically in in the people, the Zach Lowe's, the Kevin O'Connor's, the Ryan Rossellos, et cetera, et cetera. They're basically telling you that the players union should be watchdogs for the owners. That they should turn down money because the owners in the front offices that the owners hire, they can't help themselves from making dumb contracts. How would how is that a bar? How do you bargain like that? Why why is that smart for the players to be like, yeah, you know what, y'all don't know what y'all are doing, so we'll we'll oversee this, but we're not gonna ask, but we're not gonna take more money, right? You're not gonna to add more money to the BRI because we have to oversee what you guys are doing for competitive balance. That's not their job. It's not Michelle Roberts's job to make sure that the league is competitive. The thirty owners. 30 general managers, that's their job. Michelle Roberts' job and the player union's job is to make sure that the players are best compensated and that their working environment is at, is the best that it can be. Everybody's eating. They're still in line for Bradley Bill. Everybody eats. And people are blaming Michelle Roberts for that? 
Oh my god. Trick. Uh -huh. Okay. They can't. Shut up. <laughs> it's 30 minutes on that one topic. All y'all Bamas need to shut up. Cause that's crazy. If you disagree with any of those takes, maybe you really love hearing Trick Daddy's vocals. Whatever it is that you want to get off your chest, hit me up. We're at Quarterly Show on Twitter. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show, or you can email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, we're going to keep things moving because free agency wasn't the only thing that dominated the world of entertainment this week. It's our second topic. This second. So as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, starting at 12 o'clock Sunday morning, the NBA just dominated everything up until this point. Whenever you're listening, I mean, up until the holiday, you know, just everything that you hear, NBA, signings, contracts, uh, competitive balance, parity, players union, all this stuff, right? Paul George kind of set the tone on Sunday morning with his deal. But prior to Sunday, essentially Friday and all day Saturday, all anyone was talking about, at least in my circles and probably many of your guys' as well, was the latest release of Drake. Scorpion is the name of the album, and, yo, he had a hell of a June. You know what I'm saying? June was a rough month for your boy Aubrey, you know? So he was able to kind of change the narrative, if you will. Friday was widely anticipated. No matter how you feel about him, you know, he's made his catalog up until this point is significant enough. He's such... Uh, a key component into pop culture that anytime he makes a move, it becomes uh, a big deal. Whether you like him or not, there is no denying his impact. And that was felt Friday, I believe. And I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm 35 now, man. I don't know how the new age and the technology, how people, how they do it. But with streaming numbers and actual physical copies sold, I think he said they said that he he sold a million or had a uh, went platinum on the first day, which in today's music climate is beyond impressive. Um, the problem with Scorpion, I wish I shouldn't say problem. One of the issues I have, um, with the release is it's hard to separate the beef, the highly publicized beef with the album. Okay. Because so much of the album is about or responding to his beef with Pusha T. Now I'm going to dive in a little deeper because I don't know how anyone honestly can be like, okay, in the terms of the beef, Drake won. There's no one who can honestly say that. And listening to Scorpion, it's clear because he, he spends a significant amount of the time on the album addressing some of the issues th that came up during the beef. You know, he's responding. He's, he's playing defense. But I'm going to try to separate the two as much as you can in, in talking about the album and Drake to a large part. Because when you listen to Scorpion, you hear how talented he is. I mean, like, there are a lot of people. And, look, this is the funny thing, right? Y'all know I'm from Virginia. I'm from Southside, Richmond, Virginia. What's happening? Um, so 
there is a bias that I have toward Pusha T. I love Pusha T. Even if he wasn't from Virginia, he'd still be one of my favorite rappers. So there was a lot of, I, I got some backlash. Like, oh, man, you came in for Push. Boom, 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 a few weeks back. Funny thing is, Friday I tweet out some positive feelings towards Drake and Scorpion. And people was like, bro, you caping for Drake. What is this? Boom, boom, boom. Like, I don't know any of these bombers, Joe. I like good music. I like music that I can listen to. I like music that I can kind of to sink into and just enjoy. So I don't, I could be a, I could enjoy Pusha more than I enjoy Drake, but that's not, that doesn't influence my take. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I just like good music. So before I get into it, I don't want to hear anybody. I, I'm sick of that. Johnny's played, bro. Like, I'm not, my, I am capable of being objective. It's difficult. It's very difficult for many of you. And it was once difficult for me. I can't be objective about the 90s Knicks. Okay? But I can be objective about Drake. That, that, that bar is not that high. Okay? So I'm listening to Scorpion. And again, highly anticipated. And the first half of the album, the A-side, if you will, I'm like, it's, there's no denying the boy can rap. You know what I'm saying? However you feel about Aubrey, it's whatever. I'm not trying to convince anybody. Because their thing, you know, it's, it's like LeBron. I'm not comparing the two. But it's like LeBron. I know that there are people who just do not like LeBron because he complains and he flops. And, he, you know, if he gets fouled, he acts like he got shot. And, you know, there's, there seems to be a lack of accountability and, uh, you know, superiority complex, all types of things that go on with LeBron. So if you do not like LeBron, I, I wouldn't say the person because we don't know him as a person, but you know what I mean? Everything that comes with LeBron, I understand that. But there is no denying his greatness. You feel me? Like the people who was like, oh, LeBron's not clutch, or LeBron, he's not this, LeBron's not great, all this other silly stuff. Like, that's easily dismissed. You don't have to like all the things that come with LeBron. And truth be told, I don't. Him flopping is annoying. It is. But it doesn't compare. It pales in comparison to just his greatness and things that he does. Things that I enjoy about LeBron, both on and off the floor. Similarly, when we're talking about Drake, there is no denying the boy can rap and he makes good music. The problem that comes with Drake, and I'm stealing this from my partner, lover to death. She always says, you know, years ago, even up to now, my best friend, she would always be like, you know, when, when talking about dating, she was like, Armand, you cast a wide net. You like to date a lot of people. Whereas she, she says that, you know, she would just dive deep. She doesn't date a lot. She, when she does date, she likes to dive deep. So instead of casting a wide net and trying to get as much as you can, she likes to just dive deep. And she says that, you know, a lot of people that she finds, they're not like that, right? It makes sense. But I'm going to flip that because I feel like Drake is a lot like that, right? Because he tries to please so many people um, because he's talented. And we could talk about the singing in a second. But this double album, it feels disjointed. There's a lot of things about scorpion that are dope that it's really dope and then there are things about scorpion i'm like okay i understand why you wanted to do that but it just doesn't work 
There is no denying Drake's cultural impact on just pop culture, right? No, I'm not talking about hip hop, just on pop culture. There is no denying Drake's a force, like a tour de force. So whenever you talk about Drake and or in his beef with Push, or Drake and his contemporaries, whether it's Kendrick or Cole, whatever the case, right? People always go back to, well, Drake sells more records, and he does, and that's part of the genius, right? When you can, when you can be as versatile as Drake is, right, and try to please and spread that wide of a net, cast that wide of a net, and try to touch all these different people, there is a genius to that. But the fact that he's that popular doesn't necessarily mean he's making great music, if you understand what I'm saying, right? So, and I, and I, and this is going to sound like an insult, and I promise you that's not my intention. But Drake, in many ways, he's like McDonald's. And, I, and I'm trying to come up with a different restaurant, right? Because a lot of people hear McDonald's and they just have a natural, just a negative reaction. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I compare him to McDonald's. But my point is, McDonald's sells more food than anybody, right? There's no restaurant that competes with McDonald's. And there are sometimes, even people who hate McDonald's, I hate McDonald's. There's sometimes, I'd be lying to you if I told you, there are not moments where I just want some McDonald's fries. You know, I just crave some McDonald's fries. I don't want a burger. I don't want the chicken, I don't want any of that. I just want some fries from McDonald's, you know? And when I get the fries, I enjoy it. Real simple, real light, it's just fries. That's like Drake in his singles. Sometimes you just want to dance. You just want to hear something that makes you get on the floor and dance. You don't want anything too heavy. You know, you just want something light. And sometimes, you know what? You can go to McDonald's and you can get a salad. And you may like that salad. Or you can get... An apple pie, you can get McFlurry, whatever. You can get things that really, that would satisfy you. Nothing that even, you know, that's something that you really desire, that you want. Whereas, and, and, and there's usually something for everyone. You could be a vegetarian, go to McDonald's, get a salad, get a fruit cup. You can get, you know, some ice cream, you know. You could be, you know, on Lent. You can't eat meat on Fridays. And that's why the filet of fish meal, they always got the, the little filet of fish super meals on like during Lent, right? Because you can eat the fish on a Friday. There's, there's something for everyone. But it doesn't dive deep, right? Whereas someone like Cole, he could be Cuban food. Or not, Cole could be like Indian food. It's not for everybody. It's not. Cuban food will never sell as, you go to a really established Cuban restaurant and it won't sell anywhere close to the amount of orders that McDonald's sells, right? But there's something heavy, that, like it's there. Like it's not for everybody. It's not going to please everybody, but it's not trying to please everybody. It's it's what it is, right? And it's authentic to what it's trying to serve. And you get a heavy, it's heavy. It sits with you. And you can enjoy it more than just for that spur of the moment. Because as we all know, you can go to McDonald's and get some fries you may want to cheese, but whatever the case may be. And you may enjoy it for that moment, that McFlurry. You may really love that McFlurry at that time. But we all know two days later, it's not going to sit well with you. Maybe in the next night, it's not going to sit well with you, right? Kendrick is like Cuban food. It's not for everybody. 
right? But there is a an appreciation to the the crafting of the food. There's an authenticity that is there. So it won't sell like McDonald's, but it will leave you more satisfied. No one goes on their anniversary is like, man, you know what? It's a, a super large occasion. Want to celebrate? Let's go to McDonald's. But you may want to go to your favorite Italian restaurant. You may want to go to your favorite Thai food restaurant. You may want to go to your favorite, you know, Caribbean joint, wherever the case may be. And that's kind of where I am with Drake. Drake goes out of his way to please everyone because he has the ability. He's talented. Now, some of y'all Bama's, look, I'm myself, I'm not trying to hear Drake sing, okay? I listened to the B-side once, and I was like, okay. This this may come off as hating. And again, I'm, I'm grown. So when I hear someone sing, I expect to hear a, a, a great voice. Drake can carry notes. Drake can't sing, man. You know what I'm saying? But whatever. He's not singing for me. He's singing for an entire different generation of people, okay? So bless y'all hearts. Y'all enjoy it. He's putting that out for you. But I feel like even when Drake was singing in, in, in spurts, like Take Care, nothing was the same. If you're reading this, it's too late. Those three albums, man, those were like really dope pieces of work where you could tell the, ta the talent still shined. You could tell he, we all know he can rap. And he's not trying to be this R&B crooner because his voice isn't there, but because you're not listening to 11 songs of him singing the same notes and saying the same things. It was, it gave it a variety that had some impact there. So when you're listening to Scorpion, you like the A side, boom, he's getting it. He's getting after he's spitting. He feels some type of way. He was backed into a corner. He had stuff he had to get off his chest and he's going for it. And I appreciated that the rap, the A side of the album is good. It's not great. It's not take care. It's not, nothing was the same, but it's good. And it's good to hear Drake rap. But much, but as is the problem with many double disc CDs, he then has a whole album full of like him crooning. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like in, in trying to satisfy everyone, what's the old cliche? You don't really satisfy anyone. His stands are his stands. People who love Drake are going to love anything he puts out. I, truth be told, once I heard views, once views came out and there were people who were telling me that they enjoyed that album, I already knew what time it was because that joint was trash. Make no mistake, Scorpion is not views. Scorpion is significantly better than views. But the point is there are people who no matter what Drake puts out, they will love it. This ain't that. But it is good to hear Drake get at it. When, when you, you can tell that there was stuff that he had to get off his chest. And he put forth a good effort, quality effort. Not a great album. Not close to a great album. But better than his last two projects. Much better than Views. Better than More Life. Right? It wasn't a home run, but he got on base. That's kind of my review of the album outside of the beef. But now, when we put it into context with what has been going on over the month of June, it's clear Pusha rattled his cage. He got shook. Um, you know, I never felt like the Adidon giant, he was addressing a lot of different things. I never felt that he had to address himself as a father. You know, I get why Pusha went there because much of Drake's fan base are women, right? And there's 
a significant thing. You don't have to be a woman to to be kind of disgusted by someone who doesn't want to take care of the children. But that can definitely resonate. We all understand why that resonates strong, strongly with women. Right. So it was a chess move by Pusher to go after his, um, I guess, his embarrassment over being a father. And that was clear again on the album. You listen to some of these songs, you could tell he's really wrestling with how ashamed he felt. But this goes back to my point of being disjointed. Side A, he talks about, oh, man, the only deadbeat I know is any beat that I get on. Right? And I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't really think that line is that clever, but I get it. Whatever. You're saying you're not a deadbeat dad. Boom, boom, boom. But then you end your album saying that you only saw your child one time and you got an empty crib with an empty crib. How your child's never met your dad. So it's like, which one is it? It, it reminds me a lot of, you guys remember after Ether. And Nas killed Jay with the, you know, you 36 in the karate class. And then that bothered Jay so much that even years later when he dropped the Black Album and his mother is talking on the intro and she says, you know, Sean was born December, whatever, and they bleep out the year. Like, that really rattled Jay-Z, his age. You know what I mean? Like, it went a long time where he was still trying to hide how old he was. Like, who cares? You know, that's, I don't care. It was a funny line when Nas said it. But we don't know how old you are. But the fact that it stood, it stood with him so long that he was going out of his way not to mention his age, it was like, oh, man, that joint hurts you, bro. Similarly, you can listen throughout this album, and it's like Pusha really hurt him with this, some of this stuff. The first, the first the intro, Survival, which is one of the better songs on the whole album, he's talking about how his dad wears Bernie Mac suits in response to the Steve Harvey suit line that push dropped and you could tell he was shook it rattled him and i guess when it's your first loss you can beat you it can take you aback but there's so much going on with scorpion right he clearly had to get stuff off his chest but he also he had he was playing defense on the album and all of that including the the part of him trying to please everyone it makes the whole work in my opinion Kind of like just too much. Disjointed is the best word that I, I could come up with because it's it's a little bit of everything and it's all over the place. It doesn't have a consistent feel. It's just it's just all over. It's like a child making a collage for the first time. There are parts of it that you could look at like oh that's cute, and then there's stuff like yo what the what what the hell are you doing here? You know what I'm saying? And overall quality effort. But there is no denying that Drake can spit. There is no denying about that. Like He can rap. The boy gets busy. But we also have to stop using how popular he is as a way to give him accolades. Because while he casts a wide net, the problem since Take Care, since Nothing Was the Same, since if you're reading this, is that he doesn't dive deep enough where his contemporaries consistently give you quality music that I feel will last much longer than some of Drake's more recent albums. All right, guys, that's my, you know, my little foray into, you know, musical uh, criticisms, critiques, if you will. You know, I'm interested in hearing what you guys feel about Scorpion. I know a lot of y'all heard it. Everybody damn near heard it. Like, again, he went, he saw the million records in, in a day. 
or however they do it. it broke all types of Spotify streaming records, Apple, Apple, Apple music streaming records. I don't know how that stuff works, but whatever. Chances are you guys have heard at least some of the album. Let me know what you guys think of it. Hit me up on Twitter at quarterly show. That's Q U A R T E R L E E show or email me at quarterly report at gmail.com. All right. That is the horn. This is halftime. But again, I OD so much. The first quarter, I gave you pretty much three different topics. It was a 30 minute quarter. I don't know if I've ever done that. So as we did maybe about a month or two ago, we're going to skip over halftime. No need to fret, right? We're going to do halftime again next week, but I want to make sure I don't go too long this show, and I definitely have so much more to say, so many more things to get to, including a new way I feel that can improve the NBA's product, not by just doing away with conferences, but by taking it an extra step. We're going to get to that in the fourth quarter, but first, my guest this week, Miss Monica McNutt. Third quarter. All right, guys, my next guest, friend of the program. She's been rocking with the show for a long time. Good people. She's an anchor, analyst, host of the Round Ball Report. All in all, basketball superstar, the one and only Miss Monica McNutt. Monica, thank you so much for rocking with me this week on the Quarterly Report. Um, I love your intro. It's so good for my ego. Basketball superstar. That's nice. Everything's well, Armand. How are you? <laughs> the last thing that any one of us needs to hear. It's about your ego being fed. So anybody who's going to be dealing with Monica over the next few days, I apologize for gassing her up. Lord only knows what y'all going to have to deal with. I'm sorry. But back to back to the interview. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing well. Uh, I obviously am a huge NBA fan. The finals were disappointing this year. I think we all would agree. However, the playoffs were extremely exciting. However, offseason in the NBA has now become like one of the highlights of the season. The season is now a year-round product. Um, so we're right in the middle of the eye of the storm, and it's exciting. We're going to get to the Wizards and, you know, local topics in a second, but I want to start here with a deeper dive with the biggest story thus far, at least, during NBA free agency, and that's the Marcus Cousins signing with the Golden State Warriors. Um I'm curious, what was your initial reaction to hearing the news? It was definitely one of those things that caused you to do a double take. But then right. if you read some of the reporting that's been done, it makes sense. I think it's a hell of a move on Boogie's part. Would you expect the Warriors to turn that down? Even if it doesn't pan out for them, he signed for a year deal at 5 mil. Like, that's lightweight, and they already keep what they have in the cabinet, which is likely to win another title with or without Boogie. So, I mean, after I got over the initial shock, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's what the NBA is these days. Yeah, I agree. It's like a perfect situation for Boogie, really for both sides. For Boogie, he has a year to kind of repair his image, right? There are a lot of question marks about DeMarcus Cousins, both off the floor and on the court coming off of an Achilles tear. So he gets to take his time to rehab and not rock the boat on a championship team. And if he can do that for a year, he doesn't have to play heavy minutes. He gets to, it's like a reclamation project. He gets to repair his image, repair his game, repair his Achilles, all the while, you know, reaping the benefits of being a championship player because that's the knock on him. You can't win with DeMarcus Cousins on your team. Well, 
he's going to squash that entire narrative. And then for the Warriors, clearly they don't need DeMarcus Cousins. This is a pure defensive move. They basically just keep DeMarcus Cousins away from any of their competitors. There's a lot of rumors about the Lakers and everything. So they just take that piece off the board. And if he can't play, you just don't play him. It's it's a win-win for the Warriors and DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, and I think if you dig a little deeper into it, right, he gets to be a role player, essentially, and he gets to pad his stats, likely. So if he comes out of this, assuming that he gets fully healthy, I think that's the only asterisk in this whole thing, and can go back to the guy that was, what, 25 and 12 in New Orleans right. before he got hurt, there's no reason he doesn't leave Golden State and at least there's conversation, if not signing a max bill coming out of there. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guest this week, good people, friend of the program, Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutt Monica. That's M-C-N-U-T-T Monica. She is an anchor, analyst, and host of the Round Ball Report. Make sure you guys check your local listings for that. All right, so Monica, Boogie signing with Golden State kind of took over Monday, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody went crazy once that news uh, broke. But before that, the biggest signing was LeBron going to Los Angeles, and that had everybody going crazy. Laker fans, you know how they are. They can be obnoxious. They were on 20 when they got LeBron. Um, There have been think pieces. There have been all types of uh, long-formed opinions on this move. Personally, I feel like LeBron has to know he can't win with the Lakers this year. So I was surprised that he decided to to go to L.A., especially considering it seemed like there was a late push from Philadelphia. Um, That being said, what are your thoughts on the makeup of LeBron going, uh, the makeup of the NBA, number one, and your overall feelings of LeBron choosing to go play for the Lakers? I was surprised. I was very much in the camp of, why are you leaving the East? Like, you trying to win titles or no? Like, why would you yeah. leave the East? Um, and so I guess on some level, it's funny because as you were talking, I was trying to kind of compare the shock of the LeBron thing to something pop culture-ish. And for me, like, LeBron going to L.A. was like Beyonce dropping lemonade, right? <laughs> okay, I, I give it to you. I am completely interested. I have to hear this. Listen, listen, we're so used to the Carters being this closed couple that you only see in these very delicately curated photos, right? But right. for her to drop an album spilling all the beans, and then first people were like, is this legit? And it was very much legit. And then we get the follow-up. I'm blanking on the name of Jay-Z's album, Family Feud, 4. whatever. 4. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 444, all of that. It was like, wait, this is real life. And so for me, LeBron putting himself in a position that is not solely focused on winning a title right now was like, oh, huh? Like, right. I was with my family when the alert came through, and I was like, yeah, LeBron's going to L.A. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And so now, like you mentioned, all the think tank pieces have come down, and there's this narrative that he's doing it to play with his son or put his son in a position to play with fellow NBA players or former NBA players' sons as well. In that regard, it doesn't surprise me. Because what's honestly left for LeBron? Whether he wins another title or not, he's cemented his legacy, and nobody's going to argue you about that. Um, he has become a social justice figure of sorts. Um, I mean, why not, right? Like, he's checked off this box, he's checked off that box. This will be another adventure for him to check. 
Now, what has been my favorite part of this whole LeBron thing, and my best friend is one of these people, hardcore Kobe fans. She swears she's not a Lakers fan. I'm like, what? No, I don't remember it that way. Not a fan of LeBron, though. And so I'm like, ooh, little porn, are we? There's a special place in hell for Kobe fans who are, like, just rabid Kobe fans who feel like Kobe is, like, the sun and everybody else who has ever existed in in the universe kind of revolves around him. So, you know what? I'm just going to keep it moving because I don't want the Kobe stands coming after me, Slim. I already, I already angered probably the Aubrey's Angels. And then if there's a fan base that is worse than Drake's, it has to be Kobe. So, we're going to keep it moving. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my people, Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutt Monica. She is an anchor, analyst, host of the Round Ball Report, former basketball superstar. The list goes on and on. I probably have said too much. Um, so we're going to keep it local now. You know what I'm saying? Um, the first few days of free agency, the Wizards, they weren't really doing much. Uh, before free agency started, they traded for Austin Rivers, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but then fan base started freaking out. They're, they're, they lost um, Mike Scott. There was a lot of things that were going on in Nerlens Noel decided to go elsewhere. Boogie, obviously, we talked about that, decided to go elsewhere. So people started to panic. And then um, Tuesday, they finally got aggressive. They uh, signed former Hoya, Jeff Green. And then everybody had been bracing themselves for the, the big joker. And it finally came down as the Wizards signed Dwight Howard today or at the time of this recording. So, you know, the team is going to look drastically different this upcoming season than it has in years in previous seasons. This team has a, a, um, a very much a, a boom or bust feel to it. So we are, at the time of this recording at least, very, we're not too far removed from the Howard signing, the news of Dwight Howard signing for the mid-level so what are your thoughts on Dwight coming to D.C. and how this kind of changes the dynamic of the Wizards team? Um, my dog, but for the record, her name is Hoops. She's just a little wild. Yeah. I wonder where she gets that from. <laughs> You're not the only person to say that. Um, I gave her a treat to avoid this. I don't know what happened. Anyway, all right. So Jeff Green. Jeff Green gives me all types of warm and fuzzies, right, fellow Hoya. But it also gives me some question marks. Dwight Howard five years ago was a major upgrade from Martin Gortat. I don't even – he still is an upgrade, right? But to me, March was not as bad as the season that he had last year, yeah. right? And so insert ex-big man, unless that big man can stop out, can step out and knock down threes consistently enough so that he stretches the floor for John, for whatever reason, the pick and roll with John is – Facing was like all oh, wax. I don't. I, you know what though, Armand? I don't really know what the Wizards needed. Like I, I'd like a big that could step out and stretch the floor and knock down three, so that pick and roll is not as predictable with John. You got to play for the shot as well. Um, I think like I know you lose something defensively if you go with a Kyle Korver, but like a pure shooter, right. um, to me makes a little bit more sense. But I don't know. I almost think that Brooks is really gonna have to try to retool this offense because I don't think. Probably too stagnant. Like, we get down to eight seconds on shot clock, John going off the pick and roll or just attacking the rim all the while, or Brad doing the same thing. Like, 
find enough layers of the offense to me. And so I don't know that either one of these two guys make me think, oh, wow, we about to just be so down at Look at you getting your John Wooden, you know, basketball X's and O's jumping off. That's dope. I mean, I'm with you in terms of, like, how it may negatively impact the offense. Um, but it's intriguing. You know what I mean? And, and you know, shout out to the Wizards. They had to do something. Um, I don't think this was their first option, but they still, they understood their position and they understood, man, you know what? To win big, sometimes you got to swing big. Um, it gives the team a certain level of intrigue that they haven't had in recent years. Hopefully it shores up their defense because defensively this team has been slipping significantly over the past few years. And you hope that having someone like Dwight, if, you know, having that type of athletic big, obviously hoping that his back still uh, holds up, that it would be able to push the pace for the Wizards. So, you know, John, Brad, Dwight, Otto, all these guys can get out in the open floor a little bit more. Um, but we'll see. It, it's 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 hard to wrestle with, you know, if Martin Gord tight, if he was too much of a problem in the locker room, I don't know how much, how comfortable I am adding Dwight to that mix. But, again, there's a certain level of intrigue that this team has. And, you know, it's kind of exciting to see how much of a boom or of a bust this team can be. For sure, for sure. And I, I'm a hope that at this point in his career, Dwight will have matured some. And maybe he isn't the locker room enabler that he once was. I do think, like you said, in terms of boom or bust, if Brooks can figure it out, right. definitely have a shot to be in conversation for that 3-4 in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, like you said, Philly, Boston, teams that come to mind. Maybe this is a lineup that can get Toronto. I will have to see. Like, right. I mean, I, I, it's tough to compare the NBA game to college or even high school, but I, I just have always felt like this – roster as we've seen it probably the last two years they have to work so hard in the half court and the results of their labor to me are not like wow you don't look at that like wow that was beautiful basketball that was excellent you'd be like oh okay i guess you can hit that slim you're not lying every time you watch the wizards you just see them work so hard for like two points you know what i'm saying whereas you know when otto's on the floor and damn i really wish I can say something bad about Otto because he's Georgetown because you on the phone, but I'm not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But Otto, he gets on the floor, and it comes so easy. The move, the ball moves. Everything is more free-flowing. Guys are getting lay-ins. Guys don't have to dribble so much. There's no turnovers. You know what I mean? It's so funny. You know, Otto and, to a lesser degree, Sadoransky last season, they showed, like, we saw it. Everything came so easy for the team. Offensively, there was back cuts and lay-ins and open shots. And, you know, obviously I'm not saying that there's friction between the guys, but just from an outside, you know, an outsider's perspective, when you watch Otto and to a lesser degree Sadoransky, and then you see John and Brad, there's like an internal war. And again, I'm not saying that there's conflict with these guys. It just feels this way when you watch them. There's one style of basketball that just seems so much easier to 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 play and much far more fun to watch. And then your two biggest quote unquote stars want to play a, a completely different brand of basketball. And then you add in Dwight Howard and Austin Rivers, a God, God Almighty. 
You know, I, I keep coming back to boom or bust. Yeah, and if I had to say right now, I'm leaning more toward bust. I don't know. Cause even, so even if we do this, Armand, we go back to, like, what we saw of Brooks in Oklahoma. Right. He, I can't say whether I have not had enough interaction to have been in that locker room enough to call him a player's coach or a system guy. But you right. look at the talent that he had and the success that he had and the success that has not been able to be duplicated since. You know what I'm saying? Like, he had major right. talent. Yeah. So, I, I don't know that I trust him to start his pot in a way that's going to smell good. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNuttMonica. That's M-C-N-U-T-T. Uh, really fun follow. Known her for some years, man. Dope person. Uh, she is an anchor, analyst, host of the Round Ball Report. Check your local listings. And before we go, I definitely want to ask you about power. Uh, which started back up last... I'm sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying to watch this thing. Everywhere I go... Have you gone back, though? Nah, start over. I... No. (laughs) I watched... I watched the whole first season. And I'm not hating. That thing was trash, yo. It's just not for me, I should say. It's just not for me. I've tried over and over again because everywhere I go, people talk about how great it is, how dope it is. Boom, boom, boom. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I did watch the season premiere, and honestly, Armand, I respect that, and I understand where you're coming from because I'm a firm believer that if you don't come in on a show organically, um, you got a window or you just miss it. Like, I can't jump up and down about Orange is the New Black, and I still don't do Game of Thrones. Like, I just feel like I missed the window, and the way people praise it, like, I'm just like, nah, like, I'm going to let y'all have that. I missed the window. It's cool. See, I was with you up until you said Game of Thrones because, like you, I couldn't couldn't get with Game of Thrones until, like, last year. People literally had to sit me down and watch the first few episodes with me, and then I OD'd. I got hooked and, like, just binged through the whole series, but... You ain't really rocking with Game of Thrones, huh? And so maybe I'll get around to it, but, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to dedicate towards TV these days. Uh-huh. Excuse me. See? It took us 20 minutes, and then the flex came. You see how that go? Whatever. The truth on the flex is because I'm trying to make something happen. You already know. Nah, nah, nah. It's all good. It's okay, Joe. You know, you got it. You know, like we said at the beginning of the interview, basketball superstar. And as I also said at the beginning of the interview, your ego is on a million, so it's all good. <laughs> it's all love, though. Once again, my guest, Monica McNutt, one of my favorite guests that we have on the show. Once again, follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutt Monica, anchor, analyst, and host of the Round Ball Report. Check your local listings. Monica was fun, and thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. My pleasure, Armand. Thanks for having me. All right, so we are three quarters down. We're already over an hour of content. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying the show, but we're going to finish up strong. I've teased it several times thus far in the show, but I am going to give you another example of how I think we can tweak the NBA. It's our fourth topic. Fourth quarter. So earlier in the show, we talked about how a lot of people were freaking out about how the league, you know, it's there's no competition and all these things that are wrong with the NBA and yada, yada, yada. And while I talked about earlier in the show how I, I think that's an over-exaggeration, there are things that the league needs to really consider about improving the product. Because for 20 years, over 20 years now it feels like, since, since Michael Jordan retired, I should say, the NBA has been dominated by the Western Conference. And that doesn't mean that 
Eastern Conference teams can't be good or there haven't been great Eastern Conference teams throughout that span. It's just that the vast majority of talented teams and now you're seeing the vast majority of the really great players. It's just it's it, they're far more on the Western side of the equation than they are in the East. And the league prides itself in its forward thinking. You know what I mean? Oftentimes that's with their social uh, awareness, if you will, and how they um, they treat certain social issues. But also they pride themselves on being progressive when it comes to on the court and with, with actual basketball uh, ideas. So if you're going to, to run around as if you're this forward-thinking league, then let's try to make this the best it can be, right? Like it doesn't make sense that the conference finals and both conference finals were great. The Western conference finals game seven, the road team won. Eastern conference finals game seven, the road team won. There was intrigue. There was the entire NBA playoffs were great up until right. The finals that's, and that's been the, the case for the last two years. And then when you look at teams like Denver, the Nuggets should have went to the playoffs, right? But they didn't. And teams like, you know, sorry, Wizards fans, but, you know, the, you know, the Wizards and the Bucks, those teams, they do go to the playoffs, even though they were far as inferior. And then you think about some of the playoff, the, the playoff matchups. We had a great playoff run, but imagine as instead of seeing, you know, Minnesota, run into go uh, you know Houston in the first round Minnesota played you know Boston when Boston played Milwaukee and that was a that was a fine series that actually was a pretty good series but you get what I'm saying Toronto played Washington imagine if Toronto had to play you know the the Spurs or the Thunder or the Blazers or the Pelicans you know what I mean like it just adds a certain level of intrigue so most people they come and they rush the judgment. Oh, man, do away with conferences. And while I will say doing away with the conferences, that's better than what we have now. That's not the answer. Like, just do away with conferences. Okay, and then just receive. Okay, cool. But that's, I feel like that's half-assed it, right? That, that gives us a better version of the NBA, but it, it could even be better. It could be, it could be far greater than that, right? Let's think outside the box again. This is what I do when there's no basketball. My mind just wanders. My daughter's at camp. You know, if I'm on an off day, if I'm not at work, my brain just goes and wanders. You know what I'm saying? I think of these crazy, you know, wild thoughts. But I, I honestly think this will work. Do away with conferences. Absolutely. There should not be Western Conference, Eastern Conferences in the NBA anymore. Do away with them completely. But don't stop there. This is what you do to perfectly, perfectly fix the NBA and the, the talent gap between the quote-unquote conferences. I already told you how to end super teams, okay? I'm going to tell you how to do away with the disparity between the conferences and actually make the regular season more important. Where teams aren't resting, the best teams aren't resting, and the best teams are actually trying to have the better record. And I'm going to tell you how. There are two conferences anymore. Boom. Done. First move, right? Easy. But we keep it moving. We have three divisions. An Eastern division, 
a central or a midwestern division and a western or a pacific division however you want to break it down three 10 team divisions okay because you could talk about how the western conference is greater than the east and yes that's the case but again like i said it's not that the east doesn't have great teams in fact, a lot of the best teams, right, it's just the, the compilation. Like, there's just so many teams in the Western Conference, but most of those teams aren't on the West Coast. They find themselves right along in that middle area, right? So if you break it up by, instead of by conferences, but just look at it through a three-division team, you start to see there be a little bit more balance. Because, look, yeah, Golden State is the best team. But let's not sleep on Boston. Boston's got a lot of talent. I think Boston's probably better than Houston. People forget Toronto had the second best record in the league last season. And they were probably the, the fourth best team, if we're really being honest, in the Eastern Conference. So three 10-team divisions. So on the Atlantic or the Eastern Division, Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, Washington, my trash Knicks, the track, you know, and then you got the bottom view. You got the Hawks, the Magic, boom, boom. Everybody's not going to be great, right? So, let, but look, look at that top half: Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, uh, Washington. You could, you you probably, you know, Miami, New York, Brooklyn, Orlando, Atlanta, and then you know Charlotte. Okay. So the top half of that division is decent. You got Toronto, won 59 games last year. Boston, who I think has a chance to be the second best team in the league. Philadelphia, who has two of the best 15 players in the league, and they're both super young. Washington, you can make the case out of all the Eastern Conference teams. Again, we just talked about it with Monica. Very much boom or bust. But they've improved their roster more so than anybody in the Eastern Conference. You know, in Miami, a team with the only Eastern Conference team, well, outside of Cleveland, to win a championship. You know what I mean? In the last however long. So that's five. There's four really good teams and five, well, three really, really good teams. Two teams who have potential, right? And then five bad teams right now. But Brooklyn is definitely on the rise. Man, y'all pray for me about my Knicks. You know what I'm saying? And and every you're not going to have a full division full of talent, right? But you have at least half the teams in that division talented with the upper half of that team's really, you know, are championship caliber teams. But then you go to the, the, the Midwest or Central Division, and then you start to see what I'm talking about here, right? And this will be the, the loaded division. You got Indiana. You'd have uh, Milwaukee, you'd have Detroit, you have Chicago, Cleveland, you put Houston in there, you put Minnesota in there, Memphis, um, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. I mean, you can't put all the Texas teams in there just because it wouldn't even out, but you get what I'm saying there, right? So you have Houston, Oklahoma City. Um, I I think in, I I really like Indiana. You know what I'm saying? They're probably a few years away. Um, 
Memphis. You know, you probably put New Orleans in there as well. So you, let's say we take out Oklahoma City and put New Orleans there. But you get what I'm saying again, right? There's there's uh, half that division is really tough. You got a young part of that division that's, you know, that are you're struggling. But again, 10 teams per division, and it balances it out. And then obviously the Western division, we always know about the Lakers and we always know about the Warriors now. But, you know, there's some trash teams on the Pacific Coast. But if we divide it up, think about it. That's L.A., both L.A. teams, all the California teams, obviously. So the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Kings. Um, but then you had the Jazz. You had, um, you know, the Mavericks, the Suns. You know what I'm saying? And, the, and then the Blazers. You see what I'm saying? The Timberwolves. And then you start to fill out a division. So you have three 10-team teams. Just off the rip, there's a different balance now, right? Because some of the teams that are really, really good in the Western Conference, they're not on the West Coast. You know what I mean? And, and if you want to do the divide, it was by time zones. But there's a lot of teams who are really, really good who have been impacted, just been thrown into the West when they're not really Western Conference teams. But if you divide it up in three parts, you have an equal, almost balance of power. Yes, right now the Warriors throw everything off, but... I'd put Utah as good as Houston, you know, or right around that part. I'd put Boston as good as the better than the Pelicans or anybody else. Same with Philadelphia. But here's the kicker. Because everyone complains, oh, man, the regular season doesn't mean too much. And it depends on what you look at the regular season for. You know, I watched NBA to watch great basketball. I love the game of professional basketball. But if you watch the NBA for, you know, you know, you want to diversify champions and top teams, well, then, yeah, there, there's something that's lacking. And then now you have teams kind of just rub the league's face in it. Like, oh, we're not going to play. Like, we don't need to play. We're going to rest. Boom, boom, boom. Go back in time. I think it was like episode eight or something. Maybe episode three where I talked about how you do away. The season's too long. How we fix that. I'm telling you, man, I've been on this, trying to fix the league. This, this is what I do. This is what, this is what I spend a lot of time on, okay? But even if you don't want to go with my idea that I had, like, episode two or three, have you have an extra incentive to win your division because each division winner gets to choose who they play in the first round of the playoffs, right? So there's no conferences, right? It's just the best 16 teams but the division winners choose. It's a one-time thing. The number one seed, they pick first. Number two seed, they pick second. Number three seed, well, not necessarily number three seed because you can win the Atlantic division or the Eastern division, but not necessarily have the third best record. But if you have the, if you're a division winner but have the fourth best record, you still get to pick your first round opponent. And that then adds a whole different dynamic, right? Because... Just because you are the number one seed, certain go back in time, think about just a few, like what, maybe 10 years back when Dallas lost to Golden State in the first round. Dallas was the overwhelming, they were the best team in the league by far. But the, the that Warriors team just presented a tough matchup for them. There are going to be times, look, 
The Raptors. The Raptors were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And they had their hands full with the Wizards without Otto Porter. There are going to be times where there's just a bad matchup for you, even if you're a great team. So you can take advantage of this, right? You win your division, you get a first round bye. You get to choose who you want to play in the first round. And then we seed accordingly. And then after that, it's just like a regular playoff. Whoever wins advances throughout the bracket. But that adds a certain level of intrigue. Imagine you put that on TNT for an hour. You know, the playoff brackets are released. And then you interview each head coach, and the head coaches will tell you what team they want to play. And then there'll be some ego and bravado at first. Oh, we don't care who we play. We just line them up and we'll play whomever the bracket says. And then, because this is the case with the NBA, because this is where they are progressive. There will be a team, a front office, a head coach, who will look at this and be like, hold on, we can exploit that. If we play this team now as opposed to this other team, this one team, they may be dealing with an injury. So let's play them first. And then that will open up our entire side. So if we take them out first, boom, look how much easier our path then gets. You understand? You start to pluck off in, in teams because they're smart. The same way they've exploited the three-point shot, I feel like they will exploit this, this little incentive to win your division. And then once you have the brackets, boom, we could easily have had a Golden State-Houston final as opposed to a conference final this past year. You see what I'm saying? We may have gotten LeBron versus, I don't know, whomever, LeBron versus Anthony Davis or LeBron versus, you know, Houston in the first round. Imagine that. Like, everything that gets better. If you have LeBron versus Russell Westbrook in the first round of your playoffs, like, imagine that. Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook versus LeBron in the first round. Boom. Who's not watching that? I mean, the, the Pacers and the Cavs gave us a hell of a series, but let's not be silly now. If we got LeBron versus Westbrook in the first round, that, that's much better numbers. Imagine if we got it this year. Boston versus L.A. First round. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? Instead, we'll probably get Lakers versus Blazers and Celtics versus Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, cool. I like the NBA. I'm going to watch. But does that sizzle for you? Does that give you the sizzle? Not really. This is what I'm saying, baby. The NBA should be thinking outside the box. It doesn't just have to be do away with conferences. Yeah, but as opposed to like do away with conferences, but then give me something else. This is the answer, baby. Three 10-team divisions. Each division winner picks who they get to play in the first round. So now not only is there an added entry, right? Not only can you sell another hour television show on TNT, but the regular season you have down, to, down the stretch teams playing for the top three seeds. So not only are you playing for home court throughout the playoffs, the, the number one seed, the third and the fourth and the fifth best teams are fighting for that last spot, right? Second and one are fighting for that number one. Like, you just have, and then you got people at the bottom. Oh, man, you know what? I want to make sure this team doesn't, I don't line up with this team, so let me move up. People aren't hiding injuries because, yo, man, if, if I get hurt, 
boom. They're going to try to pluck me in the first round. The entire regular season has a different dynamic. That Remember the last night of the NBA playoffs or the NBA regular season this year where there were like just three games going on at the same time and everyone is fighting for that, like the Nuggets and I think it was the Timberwolves were fighting for a playoff spot. It was just amazing basketball. That's just one night. Imagine having an entire month of teams jockeying for position, not just to get in the playoffs, but then trying to position themselves. It's a hell of, I mean, that's a hell of a, of a way to end your regular season, a season in which that people already talk about is pointless. Come on, baby. I'm a man of the people. We at the quarterly report. We're trying to change lives, baby. I know y'all got to feel me on that. If you don't, as always, hit me up on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Or you can email us at Quarterly Report. Again, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you agree or if you don't agree with my theory on how to change the league. And if you have one of your own, let me know. I'll, I'll even tell the world giving you your credit to see how everybody else feels about how we as a NBA fan base to try to tweak the league, right? Doesn't mean that the league is wrong. Doesn't mean that the league is bad, but it can always be improved. And I think this offseason has shown us the NBA has some work to do. So let me hear your thoughts, your theories. Don't just say what's wrong. Try to fix it. Hit me up on email or on Twitter. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe and download the quarterly report podcast and if you already have tell your friends tell your family tell everybody what you think of the show leave us some five-star reviews if you're on apple podcast itunes stitcher google play uh spotify you name it we're there leave us some five-star reviews leave us some uh rates tell your friends about the show tell the world let me know what you think about the show because we're continuing to grow and I really want, I really feel like we're doing some big things this summer, man. We, we've done some really good numbers, and I can feel that we're even getting better. So let the world know. Check us out at the Quarterly Report Podcast. All right, y'all. This was an extended podcast. I, I, I felt like this is the second one in like two months. So, you know, I'm here for the people. Again, man of the people giving you extra long podcasts. We're back next week. Halftime will return next week. Uh, stoppage time will return next week with another show. Better than ever, as always, right here on The Quarterly Report.